Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Let's begin Missions Month by welcoming our district youth director, Brother Stancil Williams. Come on back. <laughs> For those that don't know, uh, Pastor Doug is an amazing, amazing speaker. I heard my brother, as soon as he said it, I was like, okay, which of the four of these lists is the one that's the weak link? Uh, I got to know Pastor Doug for the last few years, but uh, I know some of you are going to Israel. Uh, for those that are unaware of who I am, I think I shared this last time I was here with you guys, Pastor Doug was my Israeli traveling buddy. We were the ones sitting on the back row of the bus, cutting up with all the youngins uh, on the trip and having tons and tons of fun. I got to hear him sing some amazing songs, uh, and it was, it was quite, a, quite, a, quite a trip. It was a lot of fun. Got to see uh, God do some amazing things in our lives and see it. Uh, he is a, a very, very funny man. For those that are unaware of how funny this man is, wait till you're on Israel. And pastor, please don't hold up. Be, be the fun. I know people here know who you are. You're a very genuine person, but he is a very funny man. And, and Pastor Janet, just so you know, you have the toughest job of anybody on the planet. You have to keep that guy in line. It is great to be, be with you today, and we're going to talk about Speed of Light and some of the great things that God is doing, but for those that don't know, we just celebrated our 75th year at Speed of Light nationally. 75, a little over 75 years ago now, we've had, we started out on this movement to see the greatest evangelism the world has ever known within the youth of the Assemblies of God. And God has begun, started, what started out as purchasing of vehicles and purchasing of equipment has transformed the globe more than we ever dreamed would be possible when they sat there and said, you know what, we can do this. Let's, let's get the, the youth of our generation excited about missions. And so real quick, we're going to play a quick video to show you where Speedlight has been. And we're, then we're going to talk about where we're going. Hit it. It may be there. Since 1944, Speed the Light has been bringing essential transportation to missionaries all around the world. This transportation has equipped our missionaries to reach millions of people who otherwise would never get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks to the giving of Assemblies of God teenagers, over $325 million has been given towards Speed the Light. Now in our 75th year, we believe it's time to think bigger, to think unconventionally, Speed the Light is partnering with organizations across the globe to not only bring missionaries the transportation and equipment they need, but to partner with them to further the ways they bring the gospel to the lost. Organizations like Convoy of Hope that brings hope and relief after the world's biggest disasters. Free International, who daily goes into cities like Las Vegas and fights human trafficking. Chi Alpha, that brings faith into college campuses during such a critical time of students' lives and so many more ministries that are reaching people in unconventional ways. We are so thankful for the way God has used Speed the Light over the last 75 years to equip missionaries to do what God has called them to do. And we are so excited for these new unconventional ways God is bringing the gospel to people where they are. Whether that is a CrossFit gym in the Middle East, a cafe in Europe, a rural village in the Amazon, a college campus here in the U.S., or even the site of a natural disaster, we believe 
God is equipping us in unconventional ways to reach those who otherwise would never have the chance to hear. In what ways can you give and be a part of this unconventional movement? We can't do it alone. Help us speed the light to a world of darkness. The last 75 years were amazing, and we know that together, the next 75 will be even greater. If you will, you could turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, before, I, before I really begin, I always, every time I travel, anytime I'm in a new church, and I know I, I did this last time, but I'm going to do it again anyway, just introduce myself, uh, and, and more importantly, introduce my family. Uh, you'll see them on the screen. They're the most amazing part of my life, and for those that know my wife, she is far greater than I am, and anybody that knows both of us, anytime I'm without her, they're always asking, hey, where's your wife? Why didn't you bring your wife? She's done nothing but travel for the last three weeks, and not one time has anybody asked her, where's your husband? I don't know if that's just normal, but that, you know, that's, you know, my wife is my, my stronghold. She is the one that holds me together, uh, and she's the one that just helps right the ship when I'm gone, and, and anytime I leave, something weird happens, something weird. Uh, last night, our son just walked around the room, who, our youngest just in a sleepwalking state, trying to go to the bathroom in the corner, things like that that are just like, what is going on here? You know, there's little things. And so I have, I have three, we have three beautiful children. My oldest son is Braylon. He's my athlete. He's my, he's the one we don't tell him he's doing good because he already knows it. So we kind of take him down a peg, you know, that, that, that's, that's my oldest son. He's, he's a very, very fun kid. He's got a good heart. Uh, he's very athletic. Uh, he, my daughter is the non-athletic one of my family. Her and my wife are the same when it comes to their athletic ability to run, jump, throw, all that. That's just not their, that's not her gifting, but she is by far the smartest person in my family. That, that little girl of mine is like, she already knows more things than I've ever dreamt of knowing. She can create, she can sculpt, she's very, very artistic, and God's doing amazing. And she's my missionary kind of kid. Like, I've already had this conversation with my wife, like, more than likely, she's going to go do something. She may put like a hospital in some random village in Africa kind of thing. That's my daughter. She loves missions. So like when we talk about goals later, her goal is $1,000 this year. She did almost $1,000 last year. She's already at $370-something this year for BGMC. So when you start thinking about goals, like, oh, I don't know if that's the right number. She don't have a job, all right? <laughs> she's just very cute, so people give her money. So if you ain't cute, get a job. That's the, that's the word on the street. Uh, my youngest son, Landon, he is our, our beefy kid. He is the one that is muscle-bound. He's also the first one in our family to break a bone. A week ago to this day, that joker broke his collarbone, tripping in the grass. Since we got him a bicycle and we took the training wheels off of it, he has crashed no less than three times a day in the street at high speed and has not broken a bone. And then he trips in the grass. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help me with my child. You know, I think that's the idea with family is family gives you a new perspective. Today I want to talk to you about streams in the desert. And I think, when you, I think oftentimes we need a fresh perspective. Anytime there's new seasons or new moments, we need fresh perspective. But the, the life that I live now, I just, I don't always see it the same way I've always seen it. 
I find myself asking this question several times, like, how did me and my brother not die with some of the stuff that we did as kids? Like, I'm the, I'm the parent. I'm not a helicopter dad. My wife is somewhat of a helicopter mom. Just don't tell her I said that. Uh, anyway, she, you know, she's very protective, mainly because she grew up with girls and there wasn't a lot of activities. So when we have kids that are in sports and they're hurting themselves, it's like a different thing for her because she didn't grow up with that. So I grew up completely the opposite of my wife. It's me, my brother, and we were raised by two country, like, you know, grew up on the farm country parents. So we grew out in the middle of nowhere. We played basketball till like 1 a.m. We always were hurting ourselves. Now, I didn't break a bone till high school or until college. So the fact that my son's already got to jump on me at breaking at six worries me a little bit with my medical bills, all right? So that's just my perspective. But my perspective changed because I distinctly remember getting my brother to jump off the house with a trash bag as a scientific experiment to see if he would work like a parachute. And that joker did it. He was, a, it was like first grade kindergarten. I'm the old responsible brother that's getting him to test my theory. And that joke, I, I, I kid you not, he ran full speed and jumped off the top of our house. We had a little duplex. We could climb up the tree and get on to the house. And I'm dying laughing because this, he just took off. I, you know, as he's going, I'm like, this isn't going to work. But I'm not going to stop him, <laughs> you know. And he lands and doesn't break anything because he doesn't get perspective. And I'm like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And my brother's like, it didn't work. I'm like, you didn't jump high enough. Try again. And so he's climbing back up the tree, and uh, my mom comes out and gets on to me for some reason. Like, it's my fault. But perspective, like, how did we not die? We just live our life, and, you know, we rode our bikes, like, all across town, and I remember all those things, and now it's like, I'm afraid to let my kid go around because these people don't know how to drive. Got a lot of teenagers that drive on our street, you know? It's crazy. But perspective changes when it came to, oh, marriage. Boy, did my my perspective of marriage changed once I got married, or more importantly, after years of marriage. Like, I started learning things. Like, did you know that when the wife asks a question, it's not a question? I did not know this, because I viewed my mom and dad, and I thought, well, maybe my mom's just unique. That when she asks a question, it's really not a question. But I've learned my perspective has changed, and I understand that when my wife asks me, hey, could you take out the trash, or could you wash the dishes? sometime. That's not a question. And it's not like a, hey, could you do this sometime today? It's, could you do this now? I didn't know that early on. So I'm like, she'd say, hey, could you do the dishes? Yeah, I'll get to it. And I'm watching something important. Spurs basketball, by the way. Well, when she asks that, she means now. But she doesn't say that. So my perspective of marriage has changed because I understand now. Some things that when it go on in marriage, like, I need to learn things. I need to, to catch that. Kids, the same thing. It's like catching those things, those moments. One of the greatest exp- perspectives that I learned, this, this idea, that this epiphany that came to me, is you're not supposed to drink motor oil. You're not supposed to drink used motor oil at that. Okay, so there's a story involved in this. My dad when he, he worked in the oil field, and one day I came home. Now, I have a vice, especially growing up. I had this, this addiction in my life called Dr. Pepper. And I, still to this day, I love that stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing. I try to cut back, you know, because, you know, you know, perspective. And I remember coming home one day from school, and I saw this giant bottle of Dr. Pepper, or so I thought. 
And I ran to it before my brother could get to it and chugged it. Well, halfway through, I realized this isn't Dr. Pepper. <laughs> it's used motor oil. It, I, I tell you now, it took me a while to realize, you know what? Perspective. Always just make sure. Trust, but verify. That's a very important thing. But in Israel, when we look at the Bible, and we look at the stories, especially in the Old Testament, there's constant stories of Israel finding God. And then after a while, just kind of like, you know what? We don't remember that. We read in Judges, where in chapter 2, where it says that, you know, that Joshua died. And everybody that had come out of Israel had died. And it grew up a generation. In verse 6, it says, that did not know God, nor any of his works. And that's a powerful statement for me because the perspective is we're in that, 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 that place now where we're seeing that same thing happen in our generation where there's a, a group of people, the millennials growing up, not seeing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, have not seen an out, a move of God in their lives, and they're, they're, they're discounting the faith of their parents just because they haven't seen it or their parents haven't shared the faith with them. And I say all that to, to, to bring into this message about speed light. There's a moment in, 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 that's captured in Isaiah chapter 43 that's such a powerful moment when the, the, it's being spoken over them through the prophet Isaiah about there's only one Savior for Israel. There's only one hope for Israel. And he says this a very important thing, and I want you to catch this today in verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Thank God that we serve a God that is of the new thing, that is about, hey, I'm not just going to celebrate what's been done, but there's more to come for CT Church. There's more to come. Great things have happened, but there's more things that are coming because we're getting ready to do something that's new, something we've never done before. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. As much as these words were for Israel, they're also for us today. That in the middle of our calamity, in the middle of our coronavirus here in San Antonio, in the middle of all the things going on in our world, God is saying, I'm doing a new thing, and I'm going to create streams in the desert. That where there are dry and barren places, I'm going to bring forth life and hope and restoration. And it's going to be an amazing thing, but you need to perceive it. You need to understand it. So let us, Lord Jesus, let us this morning... Have fresh perspective today. Let us see what it is that you have for us and show us how, the, the, uh, how we can still be a part of what you're doing and how there can be streams in the middle of the desert. In the driest of places on this planet, spiritually lost, Lord Jesus, you can shine your light and change the lives of people. And we give you praise and honor for our part to play. And we ask that you begin to stir our hearts in your name. Amen. One of the first passages of scripture I've ever learned in my life that I memorized, because, you know, as a kid, we memorized scripture. I don't know if we do much of that now, because everybody's got it on their phone, but we do a lot of, I did a lot of scripture memorization. One of the first passages, most people's first passages of scripture, is Psalms 23. And it's, it's a very famous passage of scripture. Most people that don't even go to church understand it or have heard the, the 23rd Psalm, and most of the time, it's, it's, it's read at funerals and places, but I, it, there's a lot of perspective found in this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with thee. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm going to stop right there. 
David is giving a, a very accurate account of what we, we, we would perceive to be two separate instances. But my challenge to you today is, this is just kind of a, just a, to, to mess with your thinking, not to distort scripture because that's not what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm, I'm challenging your mind this morning. What if the green pasture and the shadow of death are the same place and it was just a matter of perspective? Now, go with me for a minute because I'm, I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying for the sake of argument, could they have been the same place and it was just a matter of David's perspective? Because you see, David had seen different stages of his life. He'd been a shepherd boy. He'd been the forgotten son that his father saw as less than anything, that he was the one that if anybody's gonna be king, it sure wouldn't be King David. He's the one that faced Goliath that saw a giant mocking his God and said, you know what, I'm not gonna stand for it even if no one else thinks I have a chance. I'm willing to step out. He's the one that sat in the king's palace as a servant, ran for his life, lived in caves. In the middle of all that calamity, was able to say, you're the one that leads me by the green pastures and by the still, or by the still waters and makes me lie down in green pastures. You're gonna sit here and tell me that his perspective was based on what he was experiencing or that his, ex- his experience in who God is dictated his perspective on his surroundings. That he could sit in the middle of a cave and say, God, thank you so much for leading me by the still waters. Thank you so much for making me lie down in green pastures. That even when I'm surrounded by my enemies, even when everything is going on around me, you are the one that is leading me. You're the one that is guiding me because your way is right. That is what I'm saying when it comes to perspective. Our perspective, it means that our faith is not contingent upon our feelings. Because we've seen God deliver us out of everything. We've seen God move in us. So when it comes to missions, when it comes to what God wants to do around the world, we need to have a fresh perspective. Because when we look at the desert, we look at it and we say there's no way life can be there, live there. There are no plants. There is no hope. But all it takes is the moment of God saying and bringing forth life, bringing forth that, that water, that, that stream of life, and life will spring up. Why? Because our God is able to do the impossible. But once we understand that, once we have the perception right in our head that our God is not a God that is just uh, cares about us and not the world, that we live in a very, um, we live in an amazing nation. I love living in America. I love uh, what we have, and I love even more that I live in Texas. Don't ever want to leave. Lord Jesus, please don't make me leave. But I've seen my perspective has changed because I've also seen things in the, around the world. We just spent time in Africa this last summer seeing some things. My perspective changed on this dry place of seeing the deserts, and we're putting in water wells where there, there, there is no hope. The, the nation of, of, of Kenya has said, we're not going into the remote villages to put water in. Number one, it's too hard. We don't, there's no roads. There's no way in. You have to drill thousands of feet down to find water. It's not cost advantageous to, for us to put things in in these small villages. So Speed the Light has partnered with WorldServe to go and put those water wells in. And in the middle of the driest of places, we're seeing God bring forth living water, both physically and spiritually. Because those water wells are going and planted in next to churches. So the church becomes the epicenter for the entire region of the, in a community. And it's bringing forth life, both spiritually and physically. And God is doing amazing things in the driest of places. And my perspective has changed. So when I read this scripture and hear God say, I'm doing a new thing, and we're creating streams in the desert, I don't just see like, hey, that's cool, God. I see the bigger picture that God is doing something that's impossible to the naked eye, that that people look at and say, you know what? This is a lost cause. This isn't worth our time or effort or money. 
And God says, you know what? I see people that are valued, and I want to present them with the gospel. I want to present them with hope. And that is the mission. That's what it means to create that water in the middle of the desert or the driest places. One of the scriptures that me and my wife have, have leaned on in the last few years is Ezekiel chapter 37. It's the story of the, of the, of the dry bones. And Ezekiel is, is there, and he's having this, this, this dream with God. And God's looking out on this valley of dry bones. And it stuck out so, so much to me. As, as we looked at Speed of Light, as we looked at this, this, uh, this mountain, because for those who don't know, we're the number one sending district in the nation. We send more missionaries than any other district. We are awesome, okay? That's what I'm trying to say here. We're really good at sending them. But one of the things that we've, we've lacked is we, as our project list has begun to grow, we've funded fewer and fewer Speed of Light projects each year. Now, this, this happened over a course of a time when we didn't have many projects going out. We only had one or two projects a year. So it was, it was very easy for us to say, hey, let's, let's spread it around. Let's, let's do this. But then our, our workload took off, and it's, we need a whole lot of money every year now for all the new missionaries. And me and my wife are looking at this, this state of Speed of Light going, okay, what's next? What's, what are we missing? What's, what's the next step? And this verse began, became our mantra for that year was, you know what, God? Even in the middle of everything, in the valley of dry bones, and God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, only you know. And then something very interesting happened. And he said, prophesy to these bones. I found that so fascinating, and, then, and so that's why it became our mantra, because we were saying, God, we see life here. We see the purpose of speed of light. It's not just about money. It's not just about cars. It's about the lives that are changed, and anytime you see a missionary, ask them their story. Ask them what's going on, and anytime a missionary gets up on stage and tells you their story, speed of light's attached to it, because some of these people are coming to do missions. They're doing businesses missions. Some of them, they need vehicles. Some of them, they need transportation. Some of them have colleges and universities that we're providing sound equipment for so the gospel can be preached on college campuses. Speed of light is on the forefront. And we started seeing this and we said, God, there's a need. There's a great need. And it's time that we start prophesying that, God, you begin to move. And I love this scripture because God didn't need Ezekiel to prophesy to do it. But he asked Ezekiel to prophesy. It's not necessarily up about us. It's, it, I want you to understand this is the, the moment that we're getting ready to transition, but when it comes to the impossible things that God wants to do in our life, he doesn't need us to do it, but he wants us to be a part of it because in that way we get to share in his glory, we get to share in his grace and his goodness. There can be a stream in the desert again. The story of Ezekiel and the dry bones is that anything that, is, that looks dead and decaying can still be brought back to life. In the driest of places, there can still be water flowing. In the driest of, of areas where hope is lost, God is still wanting to do things. And it is our time, and it's the heart of our missions, uh, is to create the same moment that you experienced at an altar. The heart of our missionaries is to create that same environment where you come down to an altar and, and receive Jesus that you had to do. They're wanting to take that and create it in atmospheres that are hostile to the gospel and that have never heard, that have never had an opportunity. And they're going into the darkest of places to advance his kingdom. They're giving their lives. The least we can do is give them the tools to be successful. We can give them the right equipment and the right need, the stuff that they need in order to advance the kingdom and bring hope to a lost and dying world.
Now it is time for us, the body of Christ, to stand or to send the rain into the darkest of places. And I'm going to close with this story. First Kings chapter 17, we find Elijah going, and he's being sent. And God tells him, go and find the widow in Zarephath. And he goes and he finds her, and he says, and hey, make me some cake. He said, give me something to drink. And she goes and gets him something to drink. He said, hey, while you're at it, could you also make me a cake? Now, I love cake. Cake's my thing. So I, I would have been excited. I'd have been like, yes, cake. And she very respectfully comes to him and says, Lord, or, you know, you know prophet, I, I don't have what you can make. I only have enough flour and enough oil to make one cake, one small cake, and me and my son are going to split it, and then we are going to die. Because there had been a famine. Now, now we're at this place where there is desperation. There's no hope. There is a dry and desolate place now, and there is no hope for this woman and her son. And Ezekiel says something very interesting. He says, well, make me a cake first, and then you make you a cake. Like, like it, almost like he didn't understand math. Like, <laughs> like, I have enough for one cake. Okay, then you make you one, and then you make one for you, you know, me as well, right? Like, do you understand that? And she did. She actually made him one, and then she made herself one and her son. And then Ezekiel said this to her after he asked her to make him the cake the second time. He says, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain upon this earth. He made a promise that, you know what? Not only are you not going to die, you're going to have provision in your life because of your faithfulness. And do you know that faithfulness is not, just not tied to their monetary needs? I'm not sitting here saying if you give, you'll be blessed. You will be. But that's not why we give. If you give out of uh, blessings, that's not considered obedience. But when you hear from the voice of God and you give out of obedience, blessings flow. And not only blessings, understand this, that your sacrifice will never run dry, but also that your obedience may lead to God's provision in your life outside of blessing. In the very same chapter we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 that the widow's son dies. Could you imagine this moment where like, they were already prepared to die and now they're gonna live and then the son dies and, Ezekiel, uh, and uh, Elijah goes and lays on the, the boy and prays over him three times and on the third time the boy was revived and came back to life. How different could that story have been if she said no? If she chose convenience over obedience? They both would have been dead with no hope. But now, because of their obedience in the middle of a dry and dark place, God still moved. That's the promise I make to you, that if you are obedient with God, with what he's asking of you today, then God will always be with you. God will always walk with you, and God will always be your provider in the middle of everything. And I do like the fact that he didn't ask for more than what that they had. Oftentimes, we think, well, I'm going to write a million-dollar check, and somehow this is going to get to my bank account. If God's asking you to write a million-dollar check, totally do it. Make sure it's in the account, right? It's not, you know, no one needs to go to jail over it. But, like, sometimes we have that notion, like, you know, I want to give, you know, we do speed light tour all the time. And a lot of times we get numbers that are like, I want, we have students that are over anxious and, like, I want to give $100 million. Like, how are you going to do that? Like, there's a way. But let's make it legal. <laughs> and let's talk to mom and dad first. But obedience is out of what we have. God's not going to ask us to give more than we're capable of giving. 
But across this world and even in our own backyard, there are dry and desperate areas that appear unreachable, that seem impossible to reach. We hear stories about our college campuses and how they're unreachable. We hear stories about the Middle East and the 1040 window my friend mentioned earlier that they're unreachable. I'm gonna show you two maps. The first map is the density population of the world. That Each dot represents 100,000 people in, in the world. So the next dot, the blue is that region and the red dots are the unreached people groups. That means where those people have never heard the gospel. There are, if you look real close, you can see little red dots in America. We have those places right here in San Antonio where people have never heard the gospel, which is crazy because we live in Texas, the Bible belt, the, bu the belt buckle of the Bible belt. But here we are in this world and we see a lost and dying world. We have missionaries that see this and say, God, send me. And they're going into places like Turkey who will be here. The, the Clarks will be here in two weeks to tell you their story about what God is going to be doing in Turkey. And I'm excited about that because that's on that list, one of the countries that's very, very red with very little blue. God is wanting to do some things. Here's some, some, some stats for you. Northern Asia, 1.4 million or a billion people that are, that are unreached, that are spiritually lost people. I'm sorry, 1.3 million. Uh, Latin America, 503 million unreached, spiritually lost people. Europe, half a billion unreached people, spiritually lost people in Europe. Eurasia, 2.4 billion people in Eurasia that have never heard the gospel. They're spiritually lost. Asia specifically, Asia Pacific, 888 million unreached. Africa, 755 million unreached spiritually lost people. That Africa does not include the top part of the 1040 window, which counts into Eurasia. Billions and billions of people that have never heard the gospel. And God is calling us to say, you know what? We're going to be a part of the solution. It may seem desperate. You may see that red areas and say, there's no hope for those people. They're hostile to the gospel. Bonifacio, which is one of the, the nations in Africa where they're executing Christians, is ask, actually asking WorldServe to come and plant water wells. That even in the most desperate of places that is hostile to the gospel, God is, is finding ways to, to put his kingdom first and find ways to present the gospel to people that are hostile to him. And he's sending people that are feeling called. You know, I feel called. We have missionaries on the ground in Iraq. Why? Because God sees them. Just like he saw that widow woman, they sent somebody. And it's our job as the church to send and equip the next generation of world changers. God is wanting to do this. Romans 10, how can they hear, or how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Our job is to send and equip missionaries because the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. Now it is our time to send the next generation. Pastor Doug, come forward. Oh, yeah, I forgot. After this video, Pastor Doug will come up here.
What do you see when you look at the landscape of faith in our nation, in the assemblies of God, in your family, or in your generation? Some see a dry place in desperate need of spiritual rain. Some see a dead place, void of life. But what we see is not all that there is. Isaiah chapter 53 calls Jesus a root out of dry ground. And Jesus came to a world filled with spiritual death, a dry place, and he began to love it back to life. One person at a time, one conversation at a time. God summons his people to plant that same gospel in the soil of every human heart. And in a world filled with suffering, where numerous human rights are violated, we must remember Jesus is the ultimate human right. And the greatest injustice in all of the world is for someone to live and die without knowing him. But the next generation must be taken by the hand as we walk through the harvest field together. Everybody must understand why we plant the seed of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, and the mission. I'm reminded of a story that in many ways captures the essence of the current landscape of faith many of us see. I've been told that in Sub-Saharan Africa, a total of 12 months of rainfall occurs in only four. From May to August, the ground absorbs the rain and the seeds that have been planted begin to grow. The months of October and November are filled with celebration, with singing, with dancing. The season of harvest arrives and everybody enjoys two meals a day. And with December, grain begins to run low and many families, they skip breakfast to conserve food. And when January comes, a new year does not bring new hope. The size of one meal continues to grow smaller. And by the time March rolls around, many children are sick. Their immune systems are weakened and compromised because they are malnourished. One half of a meal simply is not enough. We've been told that April is the most horrific month. In the twilight, the cries of hungry children rise in the plains as most families simply survive on one cup of evening gruel. An Assemblies of God missionary recounts the inevitable story where a young boy runs into his home and says, Daddy, you're not going to believe what I found. I found a bag of seed, a bag of grain. Hurry, grab mom so that she can make dinner tonight and her tummies can be full again. And I can just imagine the father looking his young son in the eye saying, son, we can't, we can't do that. That's next year's seed grain. It's, it's the only thing between us and starvation. And in May, the rains finally arrive and the young boy will watch his father dip his hand into that bag of grain and walk up and down the dirt and slowly but surely begin to plant the seed. The most precious commodity and possession that the father and the entire village has is thrown into the dirt. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. And in our day, God summons us to plant the gospel, regardless of how dry or dead or dormant that soil seems. We plant the gospel in our schools. We plant the gospel in our homes. We plant the gospel on the streets in our neighborhood. We plant the gospel in our nation and in the nations beyond. He plants his gospel in the driest of soil. Why? Because Jesus is a root even out of dry ground. And God's people, the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, according to John chapter seven, we can become the rain. As we look to the future, let's grab the next generation by the hand and we walk up and down the harvest field, wherever our harvest field may take us. And let's plant the seed of the gospel, the Holy Spirit and the mission. Our focus remains resolute to what Jesus called us to so that the next generation will become gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, and personally responsible for the mission of God.
until all know. Well, we are going to make pledges this morning for the largest Speed the Light project that we have ever uh, endeavored to accomplish in one year's time. You know, the, the most, I believe, the, the most Speed the Light giving that CT Church has ever given in a particular year, was it around, you remember what it was? About 15 or 16,000? That was about 10 years ago. We are endeavoring to uh, introduce a project to raise $40,000 this year. And uh, maybe you're saying, well, that's, that's crazy. There's, uh, you know, nothing is crazy. Nothing is impossible as soon as God gets involved. You know, there, uh, as you know, Speed the Light buys vehicles, provides vehicles for all of our missionaries. Right now, how many do we have waiting on their Speed the Light vehicle? Nine. Do we have that that uh, slide? <clears throat> Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Well, one of them's twice. As you see up there, we have uh, we've got some missionaries on that list that are very near and dear to our heart because they're from out of our church. And Matt Leedy in Germany. And his lovely wife, Stacy, they are the first foreign missionaries to, uh, that, we, that were sent out of, of Calvary Temple. And yes, they're outside of Stuttgart, Germany, and they have built uh, just a wonderful, thriving church that mostly ministers to our U.S. military men and women. And don't you think our, our military men and women deserve a great Pentecostal church? Uh, where they're serving. It's the only one that I know of, uh, which is why they went there. And so they're running two services now. But uh, they've been there about eight years, and they've worn out their car. And so they're on the list to receive a new uh, automobile. And you can see the, the, the cost of these vehicles range from 34000 to 50000 it kind of depends on what type of vehicle a missionary needs and where they're at in the world, because some places are a lot more expensive than others. The vehicle that Matt and Stacy uh, would be getting is going to cost $40,000, and we're going to try to raise that in 2020. Amen? It's going to... Boy, that was weak. I, amen? If we all get on board, we absolutely... We can make this happen. Uh, and have that money available to purchase that vehicle by the end of the year. Or if we get it sooner, that'd be fantastic. Uh, they'll be here this summer uh, doing some itineration, but our goal is to at least by, uh, uh, by December to have that, those funds available to purchase that car and present it to, to Matt and Stacy. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? And the next year, you say, well, that's kind of, maybe that's nepotism. I mean, that's your, that's your daughter and son-in-law. Well, true, it is our daughter and son-in-law, but they're missionaries on the field, and they need a vehicle. And you know what? Next year, we'll pick someone else who isn't my daughter and son-in-law. But uh, I believe we can accomplish some, uh, some really incredible things this year. 
and so in just a little bit, we're going to, how many of you see the, this 2020 Speed the Light pledge card? Now, this is not your 2020 missions pledge. That's why I said, does it sound like a, does it sound like a, a big thing to achieve? It is. It, it, it does sound like it because it is. Uh, this, this Speed the Light pledge card is just for this particular project. As you all know, at the end of the month, we'll, at our last uh, mission service, we'll be setting our monthly, our personal monthly missions giving pledges for, for the rest of this year through March of next year. And, and then we also, we have a Convoy of Hope one day offering coming up. There's just, there's a lot of things, but I'll tell you, in these last days, we have to be all about getting the gospel spread as quickly as we possibly can to be as effective in the kingdom as we possibly can. And I, I, as your pastor, I promise you, you cannot outgive God. The blessing is going to flow back into your life. And I believe we could have, uh, we'll have some incredible testimonies of how people uh, sacrificed and, and uh, uh, to, to accomplish this pledge. And so this morning, if you will, if you will get, if you need one of these cards, they're, they're spaced out on the, on the uh, chairs throughout the sanctuary. Do we have any spares if we need them, Pastor Chris? If anyone uh, doesn't have access to one of these, we're going to pray in just a moment. But I, I believe we can accomplish this, but it's going to take some thought. It's going to take some vision, a little uh, ingenuity on our parts. But I think if, I mean, if every family, Janet and I are going to pledge $1,000, Actually, I'm hoping to raise at least twice that, but uh, I'm, I'm guaranteeing a pledge of $1,000. So I don't ask, I never ask anyone to do anything that we're not willing to do. We only need 30 more, 39 more families to pledge $1,000. What are you laughing at? Oh, she's already got $1,200. Okay, well, there you go, $1,200, $100 a month. <clears throat> but I believe, you know, when you fill this out, prayerfully consider what you could do, maybe it will take some ingenuity. You know, I preached a sermon a few weeks back about a guy, this is in the Bible, you remember this story, a guy that was ripping off his employer. He was embezzling a bunch of money, and when the employer found out about it, one thing he did was he commended the guy on his ingenuity. He said, you know, if Christians would use that much ingenuity and put that much effort into building the kingdom, what an incredible world we would live in. And how many of you have ever thought that? You know, there's all, every day there's a new scam out there. Doesn't it just drive you nuts? And how many of you have thought, if these people, they have to be incredibly smart to be able to come up with these intricate scams, if they would just use their knowledge and their talents for good, Man, what great things they could accomplish. How many of you ever thought stuff like that? We as Christians, we need to do that. We need to come up with some ideas. I told Pastor Chris, here's one thing I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to start, kick things off at the end of this month with uh, what will be the first fundraiser for our Speed the Light pledge. We're going to call it Pastor Doug's March Madness. A lot of basketball March Madness going to be going on at that time. Now, here's the deal. On Sunday night, the 29th of this month, I am going to take on six people, whoever, six people who will come up with $150. 
You can get pledges from family members. It's a, you can come up with $150. For $150, you will have the right to take me on in a game of one-on-one -on, -one on Sunday night, the 29th, a six-point game. Every shot is one point. Now, here's what I'm throwing out here. I'm old. I'm 61. I have very little hair on my head. I'm fat. And yet... I don't think there's anybody here that can beat me in a six-point game of one-on-one, -on -one, and I'm just saying it, okay? I don't, think, I don't think there's any, maybe you can, but I don't think you can. So you have the opportunity to come and prove me wrong. We're going to try to pack out that gym. We're going we're gonna to charge $10 per person or $30 per family to come and see if anybody can beat Pastor Doug in a game one-on-one, -on -one, and that price will include, we're going to feed you, There's gonna, you're going to get a meal, hot dogs, chips, and a drink, and, and, and maybe, a, maybe a cookie. <laughs> but we're hoping to raise a couple thousand dollars towards this uh, speed the light goal. So all you have to do, the first six people, I'm not taking on 10 or 20, the first six people that come up with their $150 pledge, you see Pastor Chris, he'll get your name on the list, and you get to try to beat me. And it, Stancil said if his schedule allows, he might come try me. I hope you can. I know I can beat you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a true story. We'll see. I throw the challenge out there. How many of you want a chance to come watch a 61-year-old fat guy get beat in a game one-on-one? -on -one? How many of that would be fun, wouldn't it? And I'm telling you, I think you're going to be disappointed. I don't think it's going to happen. So this morning, uh, as you fill out, fill out your pledge card, I think there's a lot of families working together that could, in, in that many months' time, could raise $1,000 toward this project. But, you know, $500, $250, whatever you think you're capable of doing with God's help, keep that in mind. And then you're going to fill out a pledge card. You're going to bring it up here to the front, Pastor Chris and the guys. We have these little basketballs. It says, Speed the Light 2020, the Speed the Light Challenge. And... We have all these markers. They're, you bring up your pledge card, and they're going to write your pledge, and you get this little stress ball thing, little, little basketball you can put somewhere to remind you of your Speed the Light Challenge pledge for 2020. Amen? So I'm looking forward to this, and I just need you to pray, you know, that I don't have a heart attack. Well, that wasn't all that funny, was it? I guess a little reality is a little too real. <laughs> uh, I, I won't keel over, I promise you. But anyway, uh, right now, we want to pray over this project. How many are you excited about the, the possibility of trying to purchase a vehicle for one of our uh, foreign missionaries? It's, it's, it's going to be great. And so... When you think and you pray about what pledge you're going to make this morning, think big. Think, think God-sized big. You know, don't say, now what can I do? What do I think I can do just on my own? Say, Lord, tell me, put a number in my head what I can do, what our family can do with you helping us. That's the key, with you helping us. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. 
For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.